Welcome to the fellowship. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Adam Hawk. I am joined here by Ryan Engel. It is the day after the Ryder Cup, two days after our party, three days after our collection launch. Ladies and gentlemen, we are running on fumes. Well, I don't want to speak for my co-host. Ryan, how are you feeling today? Oh, fumes. Absolute fumes. I play this game on the freeway, especially on road trips. It carried over into my ADHD adult life. And it's how long can you go with the gaslight on? It's Mm. a fun game. And my record in, I had a Toyota minivan back in the day. And it was freeway miles on a road trip, very flat land, a lot of downhill on some parts, 82 miles was my record. But in my old Toyota Tundra, I got into the 40s, 50s a number of times. So anyways, to tell you how I feel, when you play that game and you go all the way to the end, when you open the cap, it goes, so it's not even fumes. It's like high pressure fuel vapor. That's what I feel like right now. I like that that's a game for you to run as low on E as possible. Oh, it's great. For me, it's- Three days I can go around town with the gaslight on. For me, it's a necessity given how much I drive and how high gas prices are. Oh, I knew that was coming. I I am living life with the gaslight on. However, so much to talk about, and we are going to deliver on our promise to get you content every single Monday. Ladies and gentlemen, the coma in Roma is over. (laughs) All that hype, all that buildup, all that drama, all those betting lines moving, all that second-guessing of the captain's picks, all that talk that this was the year that the U.S. would break the drought of 30 years of losing in Europe, all of that is over. And what do we get? An absolute blowout that was all but over by Friday morning. We have so much to dive into, so much to get to. The hard part is figuring out where to start. And I'm going to ask you, Ryan, to do something here today. Oh, God. For the sake of conversation and for the sake of keeping things nice and tidy, don't vomit all your takes out at once. Let's take this topic by topic, storyline by storyline, set them up, knock them down. You good with that? Is this you doing some house cleaning, trying to make sure I'm paying attention and I don't just like go on rambles? I know you have a lot to say. I really don't have a lot to say. You are known for having a lot to say. Okay, in the past. I'm talking about right now, Adam. You're sitting there with no preparation in front of you, but you don't need it. You have a lot to say. I actually, I I took one screenshot over the weekend and I have it up on my phone right now. (laughs) Wonderful. I hope you get to use it today. But because there's so much to talk about and so many nuances to what we watched over the weekend with the Ryder Cup, I just want to set topics up Knock them down and make sure that we get to Go ahead. Lead the way. Speak your fancy words. Let's do it. So the box score top line takeaway, Europe defeats the U.S. 16.5 to 11.5, a five-point blowout that was never close and never threatened to be close. But here's the thing. As bad as that showing was, it was actually the closest contested Ryder Cup since 2014. It's also the eighth time in nine Ryder Cups that the host team has won. So what we have here is potentially a broken event. The host country wins, and they win by a massive margin. And for everyone crushing the U.S. team for embarrassing us with their performance, remember that in 2021, just two years ago, we beat Europe by 10 points, twice as many as they beat us by yesterday, and we did that at Whistling Straits. So now there's this narrative getting a ton of run right now. 
And that narrative is that this is a broken event with the result decided before the first peg goes in the ground. And that when you allow the host team to get in more practice rounds, set up the course, have thousands of fans screaming at the other team all weekend long in what is a 95% mental game, that it's a damn near impossible mountain to climb. Thus, you have a blowout Ryder Cup this weekend that was actually the closest contested Ryder Cup we've had in nearly a decade. So on that narrative and that narrative alone, what do you say to the question, is this a broken event? I think I would very casually agree with that. Everything you said is true. To win by 10 and then lose the next one by five, if you got essentially the same kind of pedigree and formula to win by 10 and then you lose by five, that's that's a blowout. That's a dream team going over there and tripping over their own shoelaces. So the question is that is being proposed right now by the golf media and people paying attention, is there too much of a home course advantage? I, I think there is, but look, we could sit here and be like, it's the prep, it's the this, it's the that. Those guys, they all play golf. Sometimes it bounces your way, sometimes it doesn't. Do the fans getting involved and all the emotions have an effect? Yeah. I would say you look at the roster and the history of the Europeans. I think they're better shit talkers over there. They're cheekier. Like when any of those guys went over there, it's like they're at the bar drinking pints. They're still good old boys over there where our guys are just like, fuck, man. It's like they have to ask their their sports psychologist permission to go have a fucking seltzer. The way we groom and treat these pro athletes nowadays, it's just, of course, they clam up over there. And then when they get over here, when they get good feedback, yeah, I'm sure it probably helps. So yeah, I think there's a home course advantage. But still, if it was like real sports and these guys want so hard to be real sportsmen, then you got to go over there and know how to play the heel and let that stuff motivate you and fucking play better. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. What is being discussed right now is has a home course advantage turned into a home course inevitability? Do we know the result of a Ryder Cup before it's going to happen? And are we now awakening to that when we look back and see that eight of the last nine Ryder Cups were won by the host team and that these events are not close? They're not close. When yesterday's blowout was the closest one that we've had in nearly a decade, you have to start to wonder what is wrong with this event? How come we're not getting the drama? How come we're not seeing half-point wins or ties or it coming down to the last match? How come there are still four groups playing out there and it's already decided? And how come this is something that we're seeing over and over again. It's not a question of talent because you do have the most talented guys there and Justin Thomas playing the game that they know how to play and playing it at the highest level. So I'm not so much embarrassed by the U.S.'s play because they kept it twice as close as Europe did when it was at Whistling Straits two years ago. I'm just embarrassed by the lack of dog in them. I'm embarrassed by the lack of fight. I'm embarrassed by what you just talked about, that you don't know those things coming in. Hey, we don't win over there. And not only do we not win, we get blown out. The crowd is going to be on us all the time in a game where the crowd is never on anyone for anything. Let's rise to that occasion. And they didn't. What you need is an old school football coach. Pull your britches up, wipe that fucking smile off your face. It's time to go to war. You look at a lot of these past Ryder Cups too, and even ones we lost over there, there were these like really good veterans on the team. 
You know, now the captain has 17 fucking coaches. It's a joke. This whole thing to me looks like more of a boys club rather than a true battle by picking the right guys, the deserving guys, the best guys, the guys who fit a locker room. The whole thing has just turned into this charade. It's like politics. We're watching two opposing political parties battle on the Senate floor you know, acting like they hate each other and everyone's eating up all the taglines and spreading it across the, the, the media to fit your own narrative. And then at the end of it, they're all at the same steakhouse fucking taking photos with each other, smiling and shit. The joke's on us, dude. Afterwards, Rory McIlroy said, one of the biggest accomplishments in golf right now is winning in a way Ryder Cup. And that's what we're going to do at Beth Page. Never mind the prediction he makes. How, well, how would he know that? Well, he was part of the last Europe team that won in the U.S. He was part of the miracle at Medina. And that was oh, the, that was pre-steroid Rory. That was the one time in the last nine events that the away team won. But Rory aside from his prediction that they're going to win at Beth Page, and you can understand he's fired up afterwards and he's going to say those well, types He's got to things. make the team first. Okay, take it easy. Besides the prediction, I do agree with him that winning an away Ryder Cup is one of the biggest accomplishments in golf because it's just it's simply not done. It's easy to say that, but as much as they want to make this a team game, it's not a team game. Golf is an individual sport. Now, you can cluster the results together to make it a team thing, but ultimately... You're out there hitting your ball, hitting your shot, trying to hole out, playing one hole, one shot at a time. That's what this is. So he's wrong in that sense. I would agree with him in this sense. If you're in an away Ryder Cup and you're the deciding match on Sunday, that would be the biggest accomplishment in golf. But team, what, Ricky Fowler didn't win a fucking point? So if we would have won, that would have been his most successful thing in history? No, it wouldn't have. He wet the fucking bed. He would celebrate and it'd be fun for him, but on his deathbed, he wouldn't be thinking, man, my biggest accomplishment was when I went scoreless in a winning away game Ryder Cup. No, Rory, you're wrong. Okay, good point. Good point. It's hard to relish in a team victory when you do nothing to help the team. That That's a good point. But to tie a bow on this, has a home course advantage turned into a home course inevitability? It sure looks that way. How do you fix it? I have no idea because you're not going to host this on neutral soil. You're going to host it in America. You're going to host it in Europe. And it's going to be this way. You're not going to tell the fans to quiet down. You are not going to tell the home team not to set up the course the way that they want it. It's just going to be this way. So for now, going forward, I guess we all just have to accept that more than likely, we know the outcome. However, we can all get behind the fact that if an away team does win the Ryder Cup, it's one hell of an accomplishment for those that contribute to that accomplishment. Moving on to the next topic. Did the Americans prepare enough for this? No. Only nine of the 12 players came on the one scouting trip that they took to Marco Simone. Nine of 12 players didn't play a single shot of competitive golf after the tour championship, which was a month ago. Most of them had never seen this golf course. Patrick Cantley and Xander Shoffley skipped the scouting trip for a bachelor party. <laughs> I, I know, I know. Oh. Like you couldn't have your guy move that. Yeah, I'm sure that party was real fun. Yeah. Knowing those guys. Right. Those guys were smelling each other's farts in the limo somewhere. And by all accounts, Captain Zach Johnson did not do any of the things that Luke Donald did in terms of getting these guys in the right mental space for this event. So to the question of preparedness, do you think that the American team did enough to prepare for this event? I don't really have an answer for that because that whole 
theory is subjective because had they performed well on Friday and fought back and either won or made it extremely close, everyone would have said how much of a genius Zach Johnson was for resting his guys. It goes both ways, dude. It's just like in the NBA now with guys taking off, resting and shit, people have opinions about it, but that doesn't matter. The results matter. What I will say is this. If Ryan Engel was the captain of the Ryder Cup, 45 days prior, I would have had a team meeting and I would have handed everybody a plane ticket and said, we're going as a team in two weeks to Rome. No wives, no friends, no bullshit. We're staying in the same place and we're figuring out this golf course and who's the best match for each other. And we're going to fucking bond. That's how you do it. You want to play team sports? That's how you lead. That's how I would have prepped the guys. I don't care about playing tournaments after the tour championship. Yes, I see the argument how that could help, but this is a team thing and you need to find the best matchups and you need to figure out how to fuck that course up. That's it. Two things. And then the rest of the time, you just work on your game. You work on bonding with your guys and who your buddy is because it's a buddy system thing, you know? You keep those matchups, the whole thing, you stick to it, you believe in it, and then you focus on the next thing, where to put people. You want to make it sports, that's how you prep for sports. So yeah, I I would have done it like that. To answer your question, I don't think that they were properly prepped because of that, not necessarily playing the Barbasol, whatever the fuck it was after the Tour Champion, who cares? These guys can hit the ball. Is it stupid about Zonder and whoever the fuck you mentioned going to a bachelor party and skipping the scouting report? That's That's so stupid. You just can't do that. Don't worry. You can edit that out, Adam. You're pretty good at that. That's how I would have done it. I think it's easy. It's a low-hanging fruit to just be like, oh, they rested. Or Zach Johnson blew it or whatever. Yeah, he probably blew it a little bit. But I mean, if it would have gone his way, those guys are the ones hitting the shots. They played better. He would have been a genius. So it's like, yeah, when you're the captain, you're going to get the brunt of it or you're going to get all the rewards. So I don't really buy too much into that. That being said, like I said, I would have prepared him in that way. One of the lead analysts for Sky Sports, which is the big European sports network out there, his name is Andrew Coltart, and he played on a European Ryder Cup team before. He called the American preparation, or lack thereof, quote, disgraceful. Why on earth, in their right minds, do they think that's the best way to prepare for a Ryder Cup taking five weeks off before one. And he even said that their lack of preparation was an insult to the Ryder Cup. That they How came many up. Ryder Cups has he played in? I have no idea. Shut up, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, I get it. You got to sell papers or whatever the hell he writes for. But why am I hearing from him? That's just sensationalism. That's just writing. He doesn't fucking know. What does that guy know? Taking five weeks off from professional tournament golf doesn't mean they didn't prepare. You think those guys just left their bag in their car like Bruce Litsky after the PGA Tour season was over? I doubt it, dude. Justin Thomas was hard working on his game because he knew he got a fucking free ride into that team. Those guys were working on stuff. Yeah, did the two idiots go to the bachelor party and didn't go to the scouting? Yeah, but come on, man. These are pros. You don't think they were prepared just because they didn't prepare for tournaments to sell commercials in your industry? Take a lap, dude. Speaking of Justin Thomas, let's move on to the captain's picks because these were controversial when Zach Johnson made his six picks. Aren't they always, though? Isn't it always like this? Yeah, you know where they're going to go for four or five of them, and then one or two are controversial. And these were more controversial than normal because more people have an opinion than ever before because of social media and because he did include Justin Thomas. 
These picks for Zach Johnson were as follows. Sam Burns, who went 1-2-0 for one point. Ricky Fowler, who went 0-2-0 for zero points. Brooks Kepka 1-1-1 for one and a half points. Colin Morikawa, 1-3-0 for one point. Jordan Spieth, 0-2-2 for one point. And Justin Thomas, 1-2-1 for one and a half points. That's a grand total of four 12 and four, six points scored, 14 points surrendered. I know you were big on Cam Young being a part of this team, and you talked about his ability to drive the golf ball. Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth couldn't find the freaking planet with their big stick. So, with the power of hindsight, how do you feel about the captain's picks, and how badly were you missing Cam Young seeing how these guys were driving the golf ball? Cam Young would have been probably my last captain's pick, but I think he deserved it. I don't care where you stand with. PGA Tour, Live Golf, all that shit. There's no way you can, with a clear, conscious mind, tell me that Bryson and DJ didn't deserve to be on that team. Their Ryder Cup record speaks for itself. They're gamers. DJ, you know me, dude. I don't even like that guy. And straight up, if I'm Zach Johnson, he's my first captain's pick. He's unflappable probably because he's dumb to a fault. And the guy hits the fucking ball, dude. You go down that list and tell me that in that Ryder Cup style format, the way Bryson played last time and the way DJ played last time, that those guys didn't deserve a spot just because of this whole rift in the professional golf world. It's stupid. That just shows you it's stupid. Put those two names next to that entire list you just read. You're going to take Sam Burns over Dustin Johnson. Get the fuck out of here over Bryson. I don't care if you think he's a weirdo or you don't like his arm lock putting thing or his stupid drives or whatever. That guy dismantled the golf course the last Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits and he can putt. People talk about how long that guy is. That guy can fucking putt and he loves that competition. He's a freaking weirdo, dude. Fowler, look at the photos of him afterwards. You want to see a picture of someone who thinks he doesn't deserve to be there? That guy looked like, where's Waldo trying to hide in the city of cartoon characters, dude? He didn't even look himself. It's a boys club. Zach Johnson scratched the PGA Tour's back because they were probably in his ear. I think Zach Johnson did the easy thing and not the right thing. Yeah. And I think, yes, hindsight factored in. You can go back and, without even seeing the results, make the case that it is less of a stretch to put Dustin Johnson or Bryson DeChambeau on that team over Justin Thomas. That's not hard to say whether or not we won this or lost by five points. He's the better player, and he's the better player right now. You take Thomas and Fowler off that team and replace them with Dustin and Bryson, that Friday wouldn't have been a five-point swing. I'll say this. Everyone's making it sound like it was a bloodbath. It was on Friday, but after that, it was tight the whole way through. You adjust that Friday a little bit with a little different prep, and a little different personnel, I think you had a pretty close Ryder Cup, in my opinion. No, and you're totally right. Friday, the outcome was us trailing by five points. The end of the whole Ryder Cup was us trailing by five points. Yeah. So we played them even the rest of the way. And what if you had DJ at anchor on Sunday? Right. And it was even. You think Sam Burns is going to do that? Or Ricky? Or Justin? You think they're going to anchor that team? No way, dude. Scotty Scheffler, the world number one, was so bad that he was actually forgettable. That's hard to do. 
and he was part of the 9-7 and seven historically bad beatdown where he and Brooks Kepka got curb stomped by Victor Hovland and Ludwig Abberg. I don't buy into the world number one bullshit. Anyone with a brain right now knows that the best golfer in the world right now as we speak and breathe into these microphones is Victor Hovland. It's a, a hot thing, not a points thing. You put him out there against anyone right now, and as you said, he's curb stomping him. Guy's flushing it, making putts. The hole looks like a hula hoop right now to that guy. Scotty Scheffler has had the most consistency for the past two years in tournaments that have the most points. Congratulations. World number one doesn't really mean world number one. Yeah, and he was trending in the wrong direction coming into this. He had just blown a given-to-him lead at the Tour Championship. He let a few majors slip away and a dozen tournaments go from putting. And then his putting got in the way of beating Rom on Sunday. But him and Brooks Kepka getting beat down nine and seven, so bad that Scotty Scheffler actually cried afterward. I mean, I guess it meant something to him, something for yeah, that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. What was his overall record this week? Scotty Scheffler was 0-2-2. 0-2-2. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Not great for our world number one. But I mean, dude, how many Ryder Cups did Tiger play like absolute ass? That happens. That's why the, the matchups are so important. I would have put Scotty with someone who could putt. That would help. In that simple golf economics. <laughs> and then you go look at Team Europe and their top dogs, and those guys actually showed up. Rory scored four points. No one else on either team did that. He led both teams with four points, his best Ryder Cup ever. Well, yeah, he's a front runner. When the crowd's behind him, everything's going good. You put him where everyone's yelling at him, he's just throwing clubs. Tyrrell Hatton and Victor Hovland scored three and a half each. So you've got two guys yeah. with three and a half points and one guy with four. And then you've got Tom Fleetwood and John Rahm with three each. So their stars showed up yep. and ours didn't. Yep. That's the difference right there. Well, yeah, that's the difference. And then captain's picks are supposed to be the difference makers. Maybe not in points, but definitely in expertise. Intangibles. Yeah. Experience, how to rally around them, storytelling, motivating. You think Fowler, Sam Burns, Justin Thomas, and who was the other one? Jordan Spieth was a captain's pick, yeah. and so it was Colin You think Mark those guy. guys are standing up there and they're like, come on, guys, let's rally around each other. It's like, what a joke. That's laughable, dude. It's laughable. Wait, who was our best performer? Max Homa? Yeah. How many points did he put up? Max Homa went 3-1-1. One, and one. That's pretty good. Really good. But that was our best performer, and their best performer beat that performance and they had two other guys that yeah, beat that that's, performance that's the as difference well. right there so max homa our best guy would have been tied for fourth on their team with Dude, two other guys if if we had two other earners i call the guys who earn their spots earners we have two other earners producing a little bit more and actually had good captain's picks i'm telling you it would have been much closer hindsight's 2020 i don't know if anybody with a, a functional brain that knows any golf when they announced this, what, two years ago that Zach Johnson was going to be the captain. I don't know if anyone looked at those words on paper when it came across their phone, their newspaper, or wherever they saw it, Golf Channel. Nobody, being honest, saw that and was like, good one. (laughs) He's going to be great. It's like, Zach Johnson? What? I lay up at Augusta. (laughs) Like, the fuck, dude? Guy's the biggest nerd on earth. Probably a nice guy. Nothing against him personally. I'm just saying, like, come on, dude. You need like a zinger. You need a guy's guy to be the captain. Zach Johnson? Yeah, great career. I'm sure you earned it 
in that argument, but I don't know, dude. Who made that call? Who's picking the captain is what I want to know. I don't know. There's a committee we should know, and who knows if Zach Johnson was the top choice because this is not an easy job. Oh, yeah. It's a massive time commitment. I'm sure every single year they start with the same guy, Tiger Woods, and he says no for whatever reason and probably the reasons that a lot of people say no, which is I don't have two years to devote to this. I can't make this work with my schedule. Yeah. And you're also you're signing up, especially when you're signing up for an away Ryder Cup. You're signing up to get crucified. Oh, yeah. And Zach Johnson had to know that this was coming and that the risk – was worth the reward because if he went over and became the first captain to win there in 30 years and did it against John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, and Victor Hovland, it would have been amazing. Staying on the Ryder Cup and the play and the storylines that happened, Ricky Fowler conceding the Ryder Cup clinching putt to Tommy Fleetwood. We all saw it. TV angles don't make it really that clear how close certain putts are, but Tommy had a massive lag putt for Eagle on a drivable par four. He left it short. It was still downhill, still a little bit of a slider. Might have been two to four feet out. Who knows? However, why in the world are you conceding the winning Ryder Cup putt? It doesn't make you a dick to make him putt that, and it sure as hell doesn't make you a hero to give him that. What are you doing? There should have been a collective agreement and topic of discussion prior to Sunday's things in what should have been a team meeting, in my opinion. How are we going to handle this? This is where we can lose the Ryder Cup. This is where we can win it. Mathematically looking at the board, what's our strategy? Was that talked about? Because that was stupid. I don't care who you are. You're a pro golfer and we're playing match play and you have a claw grip and it's a downhiller to win the match. You're putting it. There's no gimme birdies. That ball's got to go in. Tighten the lip. Make him putt it. Who gives a shit? If he misses it, there's some more Ryder Cup drama. That's what you guys all want anyways. Right. That was dumb. That was really dumb. Well, if you zoom out of the whole thing, you can argue Ricky Fowler should have never been there in the first place. Right. Then you can argue he shouldn't be hitting driver on that hole and putting it in the water when everything's at stake. And then you can argue you sure as hell shouldn't be giving your competitor a putt that clinches the Ryder Cup. Yeah. So what the hell are you doing there, Rick? Now, I saw a theory afterwards, and it's just a theory, that- Ricky knew this whole thing was already decided, that they were going to lose, and that he gave Tommy Fleetwood the putt so that he could do something for his team in terms of taking all the heat for it. I don't know if that theory is substantiated. I have no idea how anyone would find that out because Ricky sure as hell isn't going to come out and say, I I took one for the team because then you're not really taking one for the team if you're telling people that's what you're doing. And second, how is that taking it for the team? That's just stupid. You're literally taking it away from the team by giving the Ryder Cup to the other team. So I don't believe that theory. I'll take uh, 500 for things that never happened, Alex. Exactly. (laughs) Cool story, though, dude. It was unfortunately a sad ending to a sad event. I am renaming this Ryder Cup the Liar Cup because (laughs) the real winner of the Ryder Cup was misinformation and boy, was it running rampant uh, all weekend. Again, it's the world we live in. It is. But to see how it manifested into something extremely real and something with a massive ripple effect was fascinating and also super discouraging. But to run down the quick list of everything that was out there that was completely false, the Patrick Cantley Hatgate was a made-up lie on social media. 
Zach Johnson pulling Jordan Spieth off of a driver and putting a three-wood in his hand was also a lie. That never happened. Tiger Woods getting on a plane Saturday night. That was a rumor that turned out to be a lie. He was never coming over to talk to the team. Rory and Joe LaCava talking out their differences and bearing the hatchet, that was also a lie. And Rory said, we never talked and we never met when he was interviewed after his singles match on Sunday. LaCava reached out, though. Okay. Regardless, you have all of these things that percolate on social media. And then because of the time that we live in, they get retweeted, aggregated, and blown up into being truth. So you take this Patrick Cantley hatgate thing. Allegedly, he was refusing to wear a Team USA cap because he wasn't getting paid. Now, that's a really interesting, compelling storyline. It makes you start feeling all sorts of things, like, is this guy not patriotic? Is the team divided? Why is he doing a silent protest? Is he the new Colin Kaepernick? What's going on here? And this all gets blown up to the point where... The European crowd hears about it, takes that as truth, and starts removing their hats every single time Patrick Cantlay fucks up. And they start waving their hats at him. We're talking tens of thousands of people waving their hats at a hatless Patrick Cantlay because they thought he wasn't wearing his hat because he wanted to be paid to be there. And if he wasn't going to be paid, he sure as hell wasn't going to wear a hat. Never mind that that doesn't make any sense because one, he didn't wear a hat two years ago at Whistling Straits. Two, a lot of other people that play in the Ryder Cup, Rory McIlroy included, sometimes do not wear a hat. And three, how does removing your hat protest anything when you're still wearing neck-to-toe USA gear? Pretty obvious that it's untrue. It's not true. So this is how a lie turns into a massive ripple effect event. After getting hats waved at him all day Saturday, he goes on a wicked run. Birdie 16, 17, 18, puts Wyndham Clark on his back and says, I'll take it from here. He keeps the USA in the Ryder Cup with his performances on 16, 17, and 18, and he buries a 43-foot putt that no one had him making on 18 to force Europe to make to have the match. And the entire USA team who was watching Patrick Cantley make that putt removed their hats and started waving it at Europe. Joe LaCava, Patrick Cantlay's bag man, formerly Tiger Woods' caddy and Fred Couples' caddy, took his hat off and started waving it at the crowd. Joe LaCava, legend pro caddy and native New Yorker. He starts waving his hat at the crowd. Apparently, and we'll break this whole thing down in a second, but we'll just finish the story here. Apparently... He got too close to Rory or was waving his hat for too long. It pissed Rory off to the point where they- oh, Rory got pissed? They, Weird. They started going back and forth. Then he went back and forth with Shane Lowry. And then Joey started saying stuff to the crowd. And then Rory took it into the press conference. And then the greatest phrase of all time that was born from the Ryder Cup, quote, rowing in the car park. Now, first off, calling a parking lot a car park, amazing. Very European. You got to love it. And calling arguing rowing is also great. Yeah. So Rory and Joey were asked, did you have a row in the car park? Because there was video of Rory yelling at somebody. 
and we don't know if it was Joey or it's not. Bones McKay. Well, Bones McKay was there to allegedly break it up. It's all so stupid. It's all just grown men acting like babies. Well, yeah. But before we break down this whole situation, because we're going to take two different sides of it, this whole bullshit misinformation about why Patrick Cantley was doing it sparked a 48-hour storyline, got 20,000 people to start taunting Patrick Cantley, got Joe LaCava to start getting in on it himself. And you zoom out of this whole thing, they're fighting over bullshit. None of it was true. All pro sports are pro wrestling now. I just wanted to point out that there were a lot of lies around this Ryder Cup, and there's video of Zach Johnson talking to Jordan Spieth during a tee shot, and Jordan puts his driver back in the bag and pulls a three-wood and then hits a three-wood into water, and everybody, including CBS and mainstream media, ran with Zach Johnson went and told him what club to hit. That never happened. Zach Johnson would never tell his guy what club to hit. Zach Johnson was on that hole all day, and he probably went up to just tell Michael and Jordan there's some wind here. I've watched guys with driver go over. I've watched guys with three would land in the fairway. We're here on the scoreboard so we could use this shot. Literally doing what a captain would do. Jordan, the caddy, even Justin Thomas. You look at the thing and he was also like kind of in that discussion. Yeah. They all agreed. And then at the end of the day, you got the fucking club in your hand. Exactly. But that's all bullshit. But you pile this up. You've got us getting our asses kicked on Friday. You've got Zach Johnson saying people are getting sick. That was so dumb, by and, the way. And then you've got this alleged club change, and Zach Johnson is on a cross, and he's done, and there's nothing he can do about it. Whether he deserves it or not, he sure as hell doesn't deserve to be accused of switching someone's club. Yeah, that was dumb. So that is why the Ryder Cup is the Liar Cup, and there was so much misinformation. It was just it was annoying to watch, especially when you knew that these things weren't true if you just did a second click worth of research. Back to the LaCava Rory thing. I am on Rory's side for being upset with Joey LaCava, not waving his hat, but waving his hat for 20 entire seconds. And 20 seconds doesn't sound like a long time. It's an enormous amount of time, especially when one, you're a caddy. And I love caddies more than most people, but you're a caddy. You're not a player and you're not a fan. Your job in that instance is to be a caddy, not make yourself the story. Besides that, he then walked towards Rory, didn't get in his putting line, but definitely got in the way of Rory walking back to his ball. And yeah, Rory's, that's, that's pretty debatable. It's not. There's video. Yes, there, is, there's dude. so much video of it. 20 seconds is such a long time. You I can either it. time how long it is, or you can watch the video in which every single member of Team USA that was also doing the thing, waving their hats, had already put their hats back on their head, and LaCava is still doing it, and he's doing it in and Rory's who, way. who is LaCava catting for? He was caddying for Patrick Cantlay. Oh, oh, interesting. So he's got his guys back. And I understand that. And I also understand that LaCava has caddied for Woods and Couples and has never in his life experienced a crowd against him. He has caddied for the two most popular, likable guys of all time. So this is new for him. And he's got to wear it for 18 holes and we're getting our asses kicked. I don't mind LaCava jumping in and waving the hat. I mind him doing it for 20 seconds, getting in Rory's way, jarring with Rory, jarring with Lowry. And even when Rory gets down and squats down to read the putt, LaCava goes back for more. And he's just got to know better than that. You can't do that. Watch the video. And the video on TV didn't do it justice, but this new overhead video, which I sent you last night and I said familiarize yourself with this, it's egregious. You can't do that? Here's the problem with your take. The world has us programmed now to pick a side. Here's a pro tip, everybody. Stop what you're doing, put it down for a second, and listen. 
because this is the best advice you will ever receive. You want to continue to grow as a person and be better and get better at things? It's as simple as this. Two things can be right at the same time as well as two things can be wrong at the same time. You don't have to pick a side. They can both be wrong and that's okay. And the real way to look at that is this. I've been the one that's been complaining about the state of golf and how everyone's trying to make it a sport and this and that. And a big part of that is this caddy player relationship. And if you're pro grow the game and pro make golf a sport, then you're pro that. And those guys have every right. This isn't Saturday morning at the country club. These guys are in the team too. So to say that Joe has to sit there, just hold the flag and not be emotionally invested in what the fuck's going on is stupid. That's like saying Derek Fisher can't talk shit because Kobe's the better player on the team. They're both on the fucking team. And his guy who he was catting for all day was getting roasted as you so eloquently put for the wrong reasons, for something that was untrue. And they took it on the chin all day and he showed decorum all day. And when he made the final putt, that's when you can throw it back in the other person's face. And Rory has zero ground to stand on by selectively choosing when to be on the right side of decorum. That guy is the biggest fucking hypocrite when it comes to decorum. That guy has one of the biggest voices, the biggest platforms in all of golf. And he just goes on stage every time in the media and shits on everybody. That guy is a walking false headline for clickbait trash. He's been doing it all year with this fucking live thing. Whiniest bitch of all time. Don't forget, you can go look it up. That guy chose to play in Dubai for appearances fees for years before playing Arnie's tournament. And when he finally showed up to play for Arnie's tournament after saying no to personal invites from the king year after year and choosing money over Arnold Palmer... When he came and he hit his pressure hook in the water, he throws his fucking three iron in the middle of the fucking pond. This is that guy. Was Joey wrong for spending a little extra time waving the, waving the, the hat? Yeah, he told you he was wrong. But this guy has been to a lot more Ryder Cups and President Cups than anyone out there. He's been doing this a lot longer than even Rory fucking McElroy. So... Those guys are in it just as much as the player. This isn't a country club environment. They're a team. They might make a little less money, but he's inside the fucking ropes, and that's his guy. And when shit happens with the crowd, the caddy is supposed to speak up then, tell the camera crew to shut the fuck up, tell the players kick out an unruly fan, stick up for his guy. He's supposed to speak up then, right? But when his guy's getting shit on all day, he can't fucking wave his hat. Look, did he do it a little too long? Yeah. But he wasn't in Rory's line, and Rory, you can watch from the beginning of that clip, he purposely walked wider to get to say something to Joey, to chirp at him, because he was upset that Joe did that. McElroy has a right to be upset that he did that, but he also engaged, because Joe didn't engage with him. Joe responded to Rory engaging, and Joe is a fucking veteran. He's been around that shit a lot longer than him. He probably knows that Rory's a whiny little bitch. And if you're going to say something like that to talk shit in that moment to engage with a fucking New Yorker, 
you're going to get it back. And that's what he did. He gave it back to him. And when he walked back to the huddle, Lowry and those guys were talking shit again. And he told them to fuck off too. That's the guy he is. So yeah, they're both fucking wrong, Adam. They're both wrong. I understand why they both did it. My problem is this. That happened. It's done. It happened. Rory brings it into the media room. And then Rory acts like a fucking child in the parking lot. That's the the story here. He acts like a fucking child. Who waits till their chicks in front of them to start pointing the finger and screaming when you know nothing can happen? That's the fake tough guy bullshit. That guy is such a hypocrite. It's unbelievable. If anyone after this is still a Rory McIlroy fan, your eyes and your brain do not function correctly because that guy sucks. Well, I guess I got to call Kaiser Permanente for a doctor's appointment because my eyes and brain are not working properly. Still a Rory fan, probably a bigger Rory fan after this weekend than I've been (laughs) because of how much he showed out how much he showed up, how much this all means to him, the fact that he is a whiny little bitch, the richest player in the world not named Tiger Woods, and he still treats the Ryder Cup like it's live or die. Yeah, I like that about him, but you can't whine, piss, and moan about decorum and then have none. Guy's a hypocrite. He's always been a hypocrite. He's always been a front runner. You can like him all you want. I'm just telling you facts that you can't refute. Well, I agree that both of them were wrong. I think Joey was fine. You don't think you don't think Rory's a hypocrite? Sure, fine, yeah. But he flew the PGA flag so high and that's and fine. So hard so, that so, I will always love. Yeah, him. that's cool. You can like him for that. But at the end of the day, you can't make this argument about decorum. He said, she said, bullshit, and then act like that afterwards. Where the fuck's Rory's apology? Did, right. Has he apologized? No, and he should. And here's the thing: I am fine with Joey up until seconds 15 through 20 of waving the hat the first 15 seconds is fine it's the last five seconds where he drifts too close to the ball and he's doing it longer than anyone and then he starts chirping rory when he's squatting down to read his putt, and he starts chirping the other team that's where joey in my mind crossed from being totally in the right to being in the wrong rory crossed from being in the right into being in the wrong when Look, he can defend himself, defend his line, tell Joey to get the hell out of there. He's got every right to do that. He's still got to make a putt that's worth half a point in the Ryder Cup, and he's trying to keep a perfect record too. So Rory's in the right up until the point where he starts acting like a man-child and rowing in the car park and going nuts. And I'll say this about Rory. He's lucky that Shane Lowry folded him like a chair and put him in the car because he was making an ass out of himself. He's not lucky because it was going to lead to anything. It was never going to lead to anything. We are talking about the world's biggest nerds and dorks guys that would never ever ever know how to throw a punch so nothing was ever going to happen he's lucky shane folded him up and put him in that car because he was making an ass out of himself on video rory mcelroy couldn't shit on the same john as joey lacava you know the next time rory's walking around the locker room and freddie and t gray's walking around they're gonna be like (laughs) You better shut your little short Irish trap, dude, because that guy will eat you for fucking breakfast. We'll see. We'll see, because both Tiger and Freddie are from the old school, and as much as they probably love Joey more than anyone, they also subscribe to the Jack Nicholas School of Thought, which I do not subscribe to, which is caddies have three jobs, show up, keep up, shut up. I think that that's totally degrading and demeaning of the looper position, but that's an old school thought that I'm not so certain Tiger and Freddie 
one, don't subscribe to, and two, would break creed on it for Joey LaCava. Everyone's forgetting the environment. It's what the environment is. This is the one tournament, just like the Phoenix Waste Management. It's the one tournament where all that decorum goes away. Yep. And every player, every caddy, they're all doing that shit. They're all more boisterous, more vocal, more celebratory. That's why everyone's tuning in. Yep. That's what it is. So, yeah. Did he wave it a little too long? Yeah. But, dude, talk shit, get hit. Rory was walking around his putt, and he wasn't going in a circle. He turned that last arc into a V, and he went as close as he could because he wanted to say something to Joey. And that's what happened. It should have been left as that. Rory crossed the fucking line, too. You don't chirp at someone else's caddy. He doesn't work for you. You shut the fuck up. Now, there's no job. There's no Ryder Cup. This is manhood. You want to fucking talk shit to me? You think I'm going to, yes, sir, shut my lip? You're not my fucking boss. Fuck you. That's what that was. And then he's going to act like a little girl afterwards, throwing a temper tantrum in the parking lot, having his chick and some other player hold him back. What a joke, dude. That guy's such a joke. To me, the whole scenario was a joke. It's funny you bring up the lack of decorum and specifically the waste management open when talking about the Ryder Cup because I did want to bring up the point that the Ryder Cup, and I, I realize it now more than ever after this weekend, the Ryder Cup in general is a bit of a low-key dumpster fire. You've got grown men acting like babies, rowdy, obnoxious crowds, idiots running across the course to jump in the lake, parking lot fights. Face painting. Bad mullets. <laughs> Zach Johnson crying that his team was sick. Brooks calling Rom a baby after losing to him. It's like a dressed-up version of the waste management. But because it's the Ryder Cup, we're all okay with it, and we all look the other way, and we don't call it out. But does anyone really know anything about this event. You asked me earlier in the week, why is it called the Ryder Cup? No one knows that information off the top of their head without looking it up. No one knows when or why this event started. No one knows anyone's Ryder Cup record. We're told it's a historic event and a patriotic one at that, but no one knows the history and no one feels better or worse about their country afterwards, at least not here in the States. So it is just this kind of childish event but because it's the Ryder cup we're all like yeah this is part of it it's awesome it's, this is great the whole thing's dumb my opinion doesn't matter because i'm the most jaded person on earth when it comes to this sports marketing machine what is pro sports nowadays i think it's all washed it's all corporated out just like news is nowadays there's just a level of sensationalism in it and they have the formula and they're watering the garden dude that's all this is. And I just see through all that shit nowadays. So I don't get as riled up. Would I like to see the U.S. win? And is, if I was there and you're hearing the chants and stuff, does that make you feel excited and good? Of course, dude. Am I watching and like really getting heated and stuff and whatever? It's like, I don't know. Just this stuff just doesn't really do it for me anymore. I like watching the shots, situations. I like seeing them execute certain things because I, I love golf, but golf industry golf media, golf television, golf talk, all this stuff. It's fucking dumb, dude. I still love the Ryder Cup because of the team dynamic and because it's rare. It's a one-off. It's a every nice change. It is. It's a one-off every two years. But when you look at it the way that we've kind of broken it down, you've got two teams acting like babies. 
you've got major storylines that were completely made up. You have blowout victories. You have predictable results. You have obnoxious fans. You have a bad broadcast with lots of commercials. You don't know where the money's going. Is it really as special or historic or as sacred as we're all led to believe that it is? Is anything anymore? Right, exactly. But are we going to run away with it in the wrong direction? The waste management five years ago doesn't look like the waste management today. And the waste management five years from now is going to be on super steroids from what it is today. Well, the waste management, you mark my words right here, it'll be... I think they'd be lucky to get another five years out of it. There's no way they're getting 10. Something bad's going to happen there, and that tournament's going to go away. Okay, and you might be right, but what's interesting is we're already at the throwing beer cups on the green stage, and we were there for hole-in-ones two years ago, and now we're there just for good shots. That happened last year. Good, close, tight shots elicited beer being thrown onto the green. Yeah, so what's next? Right, we always have to continue to level up And the waste management was the jumping off point for Live Golf, who said, we want to have tournaments that look like this every single week. And now the Ryder Cup is trending in this direction where is it going to get away from us, where the broadcast is literally regurgitating made-up social media storylines. How much further does all this have to go? And I had this conversation recently with a colleague of mine that what once was is not good enough. You can't just do an interview with someone. You have to do an interview while eating hot wings, like on the hot ones, or you have to get in an ice bath with Kevin Hart. Like you have to always up it. If you watch YouTube golf, it's not good enough for these guys to play each other. They have to do 20 shots of fireball or eat 24 donuts before they play each other or during the match. Golf is no longer good enough to be entertaining. Interviews aren't entertaining enough to not add in food or high stakes. Like I interviewed this guy while skydiving. Why? Because you weren't good enough to do it without. So now we've got the Ryder Cup where is the Ryder Cup going to entertain people if Rory McIlroy and Joey LaCava aren't having a row in the car park? I figured it out. I see the problem clear as day or the issue or why it is. We're trying, not we, golf media, golf in general as a industry. We're trying to attract, advertise, and gain non-golfers. Look at the waste management. It's in pop culture now. That guy that went to jail for jumping in the lake, he's not a golfer. He's just an influencer who knew that he'd get clicks because there's a lot of eyes on that thing. So by trying to gain these non-golfers, you're going to bring in people who are there for not golf. If you didn't do all that over the past 15, 20 years, how it's leveled up as far as growing the game and trying to get the common person tuning in to watch. If they didn't start doing all that stuff, right? And you're at the Ryder Cup this year, with the amount of golfers there are now, they still would have sold the same amount of tickets. It just would have been all golfers. Maybe it wouldn't have sold out as fast, but it would have sold out because everyone from around the world who golfs would have wanted to go. The problem now is because we're shifting our direction of advertising and what we want to grow as far as clicks, views, what have you, you're bringing in other people. And that's not gatekeeping, guys. Do we want golf fans there or do we just want... Anyone who 
wants the stakes to constantly elevate and for this yeah, thing to denigrate that's itself. the problem right that is the problem it with is. all of this that is that's 100 percent the problem and if you call it out you do get called a gatekeeper but you're not gatekeeping your gate tending you're just tending to it yeah you're not saying you can't come through it you're just saying there's a certain level to this guys there's a decorum there's education there's etiquette there's a reason why this game has made it from the 1800s to now and if we just keep bastardizing it, if we just keep denigrating it, if we keep saying, hey, I can't watch this unless two grown men are fighting, people are jumping in a lake, the crowd is getting rowdy and throwing beer on the green, I can't watch unless I have that stuff, then this stuff isn't going to be around much longer. No. That's what it is. And it's hard not to watch the Ryder Cup and feel that way after you see all the bullshit that wasn't even true become storylines. And then after you see an old man taking a dip and you see grown men fighting like babies and it's like guys get a fucking grip dude man. for me personally just speaking for myself i'm just not emotionally invested in any of this anymore 2008 i couldn't miss a shot i was glued to the tv you know how many shots i missed this year a lot you know how the biggest flaw of capitalism is that companies cannot and will not ever show any kind of loss to a shareholder. They just have to do whatever they can to keep ratcheting up that stock price. And it comes at the expense of everyone that isn't a shareholder, specifically the consumer. You just it's gotta, not capitalism. It's big business. Sure. Fine. That's what it problem. is. Big business. That is happening in golf and no one is paying attention to it. When you have to keep ratcheting up the bullshit to keep the viewership up, to keep the social media clicks up, this stuff has a ceiling, guys. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And sooner or later, the adults in the room are going to start pointing this shit out and we're all going to realize it's time to grow up. It doesn't take a genius to realize that one year, some poor, innocent, 100-pound girl is going to get trampled at the waste management and that fucking sausage fest is going to be over. That's not just like wet blanket, get off my lawn mentality. It's just like, dude. It's reality. Have fun. You don't need to act like a fucking animal to right. have fun. Sinatra and Dean Martin, bet they had a lot more fun than all those fucking people in their life. And they had tuxedos on. So get your notepad out, write it down, figure it out. Because we're going down a road that there's no way back from. And it's stupid, dude. You don't need to fucking rip your shirt off and paint your face like the ultimate warrior to have a good time. Maybe it's time to maybe look in the mirror and check that paint job. And maybe it's time for us to wrap this up. We didn't even get to talk about our launch party or our crazy weekend. And in fact, what we're going to do... Let's just do a quick recap. No, let's do this. Let's do it tomorrow and put out a second podcast. Ooh. Let's double up on the pods this week. Double up, double up. <laughs> double up, double up. <laughs> We're going to double up. We'll do a uh, a recap of our amazing launch party and give a special shout out to all the great people that came by and made it super fun. But look for that tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening to the fellowship. This was the Ryder Cup recap, or as we like to call it, the Liar Cup or the Coma in Roma. Whatever you want to say, is this event broken? I think we just decided that it is. We appreciate you listening, and guess what? We will talk to you tomorrow. Double up, double up. <laughs>